we're teaching on the subject right and wrong thinking, right and wrong believing, right and wrong confession for Christians. Uh, if our confession is wrong, it's because our believing is wrong, we have said. And if our believing is wrong, it is just because our thinking is wrong. And if our thinking is wrong, it's because that our minds have not been renewed with the Word of God, and we're not thinking in line with God's Holy Word. Now, our scriptural text for this series is found in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. Here Paul said, writing to the saints at Rome, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Believing with your heart, whether it's for salvation, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, divine healing for your body, or an answer to prayer is the only way you can receive anything from God. There is absolutely no other way. Remember Jesus said in a, a Revelation, the third chapter, the 11th verse, in a message he gave to one of the churches in Asia Minor, when he appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos, he says, to hold fast that which thou hast. Now we would say, just hold on to it. But the scripture said, hold fast. The reason Jesus said this was because he knew that there was a power raised against us that would endeavor to defeat us, to take away from us, to rob us. Faith, we have said, is like love. It is revealed only in action and word. There is no faith without confession. Faith will grow with your confession. Now, confession does several things for the believer. Confession gives direction and fixes the landmarks for one's life. One cannot receive from God without right believing and right confession. When man begins to realize that, then he can get somewhere with God. You remember in the Old Testament, we have a story about uh, the 12 spies that were sent into the land of Israel to spy out the land. You remember that uh, God had brought Israel out of Egypt. And they came up to the, uh, well, right to the very border of Canaan's land. They came up to a place, a city called Kadesh Barnea. And uh, they sent the 12 spies into the land to spy out the land. Now, the Word of God tells us that ten of these spies brought back an evil report. But two of them, that was Caleb and Joshua, brought back a good report. Now, I've said that your confession fixes the landmarks of your life. You see, the ten spies fixed the landmark of their lives by their confession. They said, we cannot do it. They believed they could not. 
Therefore, they could not. Israel accepted the majority report. And when they said, we cannot, they wandered in the wilderness until every single one of the older generation of the males from uh, 20 years of age and upward died in the wilderness except Caleb and Joshua. But Caleb and Joshua had a different report. They believed they could conquer the land. They said, and this was their confession because they believed it in in their heart, they said, our God is well able to deliver them, talking about the giants, you know, in the land, because uh, the spies said the land is a land, all right, that's flowing with milk and honey, and it is a land that drinketh the water of the rains of heaven. And they brought back some of the the fruit of the land, some of the giant cluster of grape and the pomegranate and, and the other fruit. But they said there are giants in the land, and in our own eyes we are as grasshoppers in their sight. And we can't take the land, the ten spies said. But Caleb and Joshua's confession was, our God is well able to deliver them into our hands. Now that statement, that confession, fixed the landmark in their lives. God did not favor Caleb and Joshua more than he did the other spies or the other uh, older men of Israel. Some think that God just likes some people better than others. That God just does some things for some people that he wouldn't do for others. But you know, my friends, that's not true. God does not have any pets or favorite children. He loves us all with the same love. And he has made the same provision for every single one of us. God did not love Caleb and Joshua better than the rest of the children of Israel. He did not love them better than he did these other ten spies that went in to spy out the land. You you see, friends... God was willing to do for the rest of them what he did for Caleb and Joshua. All could have gone into Canaan's land. And God said to Israel and to all of them that I will give you the land. And he promised them the land. You know, a lot of people think, well, now because God promised it, he'll do it. But you see, he didn't do it here in these lives, even though he had promised it. Now why? Now why? He was willing to do for them just what he did for Caleb and Joshua. All could have gone into Canaan's land, but they fixed the landmark of their lives with the wrong believing, which resulted in the wrong confessing. Paul said to take heed unto ourselves. And in his writings, he used Israel as an example. He said, lest we fail to enter in because of our unbelief, Hebrews 3.12. Now, of course, he is referring to entering in to the promises of God. Paul said they failed to enter in because of unbelief. Their their belief was wrong, you see. Now then, in the Greek, unbelief also means unpersuadableness. You see, the children of Israel could not enter in because of unpersuadableness. They could not be persuaded to act on God's word. God said, I will give you the land. He said, I will drive out the giants and give it to you, give the land to you. But they could not be persuaded to act on God's word. Now, we need to realize that there are two phases of unbelief, or or maybe we should say kinds, and yet they're both alike, and yet there's two phases of it, I suppose, is one good way to say it. You see, some doubt because they do not know. This is an unbelief that is based on a lack of knowledge of the word of God. 
Because you see, Romans 10, 17 said, uh, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If they don't hear and they don't know the word of God, they cannot have faith. There is unbelief because of never having heard the word. That is why so many people do not believe in divine healing for the physical body, who are thoroughly saved people and Christians all right, but they've never heard the word preached on the subject of healing. Well, now someone said they can read it for themselves. Yes, they can, but they are like you and me. I was associated with a group that did not believe in healing. We had been taught from a childhood that those things were not for us today. Therefore, when we read about it, it would not register on our spirits because our minds were closed to it and were already made up about the matter. You see, one also has to have an open mind to God's Word. And so the cure for this kind of unbelief is to study God's Word in order to gain knowledge of what is yours in Him. Then there's another type of unbelief. It's like Israel's. Israel knew because God had said it, he would give them the land. But they could not be persuaded to act on his word. There are many individuals who are informed on God's word, but they cannot be persuaded to act on God's word. This is unbelief. And the cure for this particular type of unbelief is obedience. Have you ever noticed that the majority of Christians are sincere and earnest and honest, but yet they are weak? That may seem to be a misstatement, but it isn't. Now, the reason is that they have never dared to make a confession as to what they are in Christ Jesus. One can know what he is in Christ. Israel knew what God had said. He said, I'll give you the land of Canaan. Uh, everything else God had said to them had come to pass. They had followed along after him on other things but they could not be persuaded to act on his word in this matter. Friends, a large majority of Christians are not walking in the light they possessed. Most of them are praying, God, give me something or, or do this for me. Now, God's not going to do anything until they start acting on what they already know. When they do, they are going to get the answer. I remember when I was on the bed of affliction, extreme, extremely ill, given up to die by the doctors. My family thought I was going to lose my mind because I read the Bible so much. The doctor came by one day, the medical doctor I'm talking about, came in and he noticed I had the Bible on the bed. He asked me, he said, son, uh, what do you read? Well, I said, I read the Bible most. He said, you read the newspaper? Oh, I said, look, the headlines a little. Uh, well, he told me I should not read the Bible so much. I, I'd lose my mind. Well, you know, it would help many people if they could lose their natural minds and get spiritual minds in their place. I knew from where I was getting my health and my strength, therefore I just kept on reading and studying God's Word. Now, if Christians many times would just lay aside a lot of things that are legitimate for a little while, like fishing and hunting trips, and uh, with sincerity for the deeper things of God, they would seek His Word and give time to His Word. They would be better Christians. Before I received my healing, as I looked at the Bible, I saw that it said Old Testament, New Testament. And I decided that the New Testament had taken the place of the Old, or else one of them would be old and the other new. Therefore, to begin with, because the doctor said I might die any minute, I spent most of my time reading the New Testament. 
especially the epistles. Now, I do most of my preaching from the New Testament, from the epistles, since they tell me who I am and what I am in Christ. And that is the confession that I like to maintain because it's an overcoming confession and it defeats the devil. Many pastors, evangelists, and lay members spend their time elsewhere in God's Word and it shows up in the process of time because they never have a note of victory in their speech. Now, I, I, I knew a minister who never preached on anything except uh, prophecy. He was always preaching the dark side of prophecy. Well, finally his people became tired of listening to him, preaching on the dark side all the time. And, and they found somewhere else to attend. Now, when this preacher died, he had a terrible time physically. You see, prophecy can be preached in a way that it's a blessing. And then it can be preached in a way that it becomes a curse. People become fearful. They look on the dark side of life all the time. Well, I know that the Bible said evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And, and these things are coming to come a falling away. And men will be lovers of their own selves and, and proud boasters, blasphemers and all that. We see all that coming to pass. But at the same time, Jesus, you remember, he preached about it. And he said that, uh, that there would be uh, earthquakes. And he said there'd be famines. And he said there'd be wars. And, and rumors of wars. And he said men's hearts would fail them for fear for looking after the things coming on the earth. But he said when you see these things begin to come to pass, he didn't say look down your nose and look down your face and be dejected and discouraged and downhearted. He said lift up your heads and look up for your redemption draweth nigh. And so it's time to rejoice. Now, you know, the same thing's true with preaching on, on demons. Uh, you can show, when you preach the Word of God, the authority that the Christian has over demons, and the believer will be blessed and not be afraid. But you can preach demons and evil spirits in such a way that individuals can be terribly frightened by hearing preaching on demons. Well, praise God, Christians do not have to tremble before demons nor fear them because we have deliverance and victory over them in Christ Jesus. Now, if we live in the epistles, the letters that are written to the church, we will have and live in a place of victory. Now, Paul listed a number of things that we would come up against and then summed it up by saying, Nay, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. And Paul says that we have uh, room to spare. For he says more than. He didn't just say we're conquerors. He said more than conquerors. Now then again, sometimes when I preach on the mind, it frightens some congregations. They immediately think of the mind, science, religions, and metaphysical cults. No, nevertheless, friends, the Bible does say a great deal about the mind. Isaiah 26, 3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. The word of God teaches us to have the mind of Christ. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now there's a great deal of difference on what one thinks. I believe that is why many people are sick, even though they're prayed for by everyone in the country. They get in every healing line and still never receive their healing. The reason they are not getting healed is that they are thinking wrong. I have seen many for whom I have prayed who at the moment seemed helped. Some even testified that the pain and the aches had left their body for two or three days at a time. Now, I knew all the time that that sickness or that pain or that condition would come back. You say, why? 
Well, because the whine was still in their voice. The whine never left their voice. They simply kept thinking, believing, talking wrong until it came back upon them. It's in the epistles that we shall find out what belongs to us as Christians, who we are, how God looks upon us, and what he thinks about us. It's much easier to follow what man thinks about things than to follow what God says. It's the hardest thing in the world to get one's mind to give up what man says and to go to what God says. Now, we need to meditate and think upon God's word as well as believe it in our hearts. All the doctors, and all my friends said I could not possibly live through my illness. But instead of listening to them, I chose to believe what God's Word said He had done for me. Yes, it would have been easier to listen to my friends, to the doctors, and what my senses were telling me. But I chose to take His Word, and I am well, and I am healthy today. The reason your faith is throttled and held in bondage so much is that you have not dared simply to believe or to confess what God says you are or what God says about you. The reason that faith is throttled and held in bondage so much is that man has not dared simply to believe and to confess what God says he is, or what God says about him. Is it because man has never read or found out who he is? It may be. Is it because man has dwelt too much in the past history and has never realized that we have a new covenant and are new creatures in Christ, that he loves us and wants us to have the best of everything? Or is mankind's mind so busy with other little worldly things that profit nothing when all is said and done? Friends, it's the daily belief and confession of what God the Father is to you, of what Jesus is doing for you now at the right hand of the Father, and of what the Holy Spirit is doing in you that will build a solid, positive faith life. You will grow to the place that you will not be afraid of circumstances. And you will not be afraid of any kind of disease or nor of any condition. You will face life fearlessly, a conqueror. After a time, you will find that Romans 8.37 is true. It reads, Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Now, you will never be a conqueror until you confess that you are. We're talking uh, about right and wrong confessing, right and wrong believing, and right and wrong thinking. Now, we've been talking for some time about right thinking and right believing. Now, let's talk just a little bit about wrong believing, wrong confession. You see, a wrong confession is, of course, a confession of defeat and failure and of the supremacy of Satan. Some, you know, are always talking of their combat with the devil. They magnify the devil. Anytime one talks of how the devil is holding him in bondage, how the devil uh, has made him sick, how that the devil's keeping him from success, 
It is a confession of defeat and failure. Now you know this, that when one tells of the good things of God and of the Lord and what he has done, then that is a confession that glorifies the Lord. Well, by the same token then, when we talk about what the devils are doing, we're glorifying the devil. So let's start by making the right confession. Some will not understand you when you walk by faith, but you must do it anyway. I know this, that uh, even other believers and people who are thoroughly saved, but yet are not walking as the Bible said that they should by faith. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 said, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And so, you know, uh, when you walk by faith, you'll have to talk faith not just believe the Bible in your heart. Did you notice what our text said there in Romans, the 10th chapter and the 8th verse? You, you, you remember what it said? It said that, uh, what saith it? The word is nigh thee. Now notice, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now here Paul calls the Bible the word of faith. And then he said, the word of faith, which we preach, is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. It won't work just because it's in your heart. God's word, this word of faith won't work just because you believe it in your heart. It's got to be in your mouth too, he said. It is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. Now, one, one individual, for instance, wife was sick. And so... Uh, they in the home, the husband and the wife, prayed for her healing. Well, she could not attend the, the prayer meeting on Wednesday evening, and so uh, uh, she asked her husband, did you ask the people to pray for me? And the husband answered, no. Well, did you even tell them that I was sick? He said, no. We'd already prayed for you and claimed that God heard our prayer. So why have them pray again? God either heard us or he didn't. Now, you know, friends, it, it, it makes all the difference in the world when you believe God. And this man said it would be different if we hadn't claimed that he heard us pray. You see, these are the things that are whipping us. We, we confess one moment that he heard us. And then again, by our wrong action, uh, we're confessing that he didn't hear us. And so we're doing the same thing over and over again and never getting anywhere and never getting an answer to prayer. You know, a man would never get a house built if he put the foundation in one day and took it out the next, repeating that act again and again, day after day. He'd never get a house built. Yet we do this very same thing, spiritually speaking. Very often a husband and wife will pray at home, claim that God had heard them, and thank him because he did hear them. Then, They'll go out into the public or to church and they'll say to somebody, uh, you all pray for us. Well, uh, you see, if they've already prayed, then what they ought to say is you thank God for us because we believe that he heard us. Sometimes they confess the wrong thing by saying, will you pray again? Then they're confessing it didn't work. He didn't hear me. We must take a stand on God's word because we have his word for it that he did hear us and hold fast to our confession that he heard us. You know, once I say to God in prayer that I believe he has heard my prayer, I would hold to that confession with the tenacity of a bulldog and not turn it loose. And, and if I'll do that, for I'm told in Hebrews 4.14 to hold fast to my confession, God will make his word 
good in our lives. As I said to you, wrong thinking, wrong believing, and wrong confessing, our confession will defeat us. Now then, very often we pray in the name of Jesus and we say in the name of Jesus, I claim the answer to this prayer because the Father said, Jesus the Master declared that whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Now perhaps the next day it has not yet materialized. We don't have the manifestation yet for the thing we prayed. But you see, we have to walk by faith and hold fast to our confession. Now the devil, he will maneuver you into a losing position if he can. He does not mind giving up a little ground to get you where he wants you so he can win in the long run. I remember as a child, I played checkers some with my grandfather. Now, many times I would grin and think that I was really winning the game. And then grandfather would maneuver me into a position so that when he had made a jump, he would take nearly every man I had. And I never won a game in my life. He won every one of them. Now, you know the devil is similar in his action. He does not mind giving a little ground here, you know, just leading you on until he can maneuver you into the right position and then jump every man, so to speak, that you have. Now, get with God's word and stay with it. Do what Jesus said. Hold fast to your confession and fight the good fight of faith. Do not let the devil maneuver you out of your firm position of standing upon God's word. I've stood my ground for days, weeks, and even months. I did not bulge an inch. I've told the devil that I would hold fast to my confession that I would not throw in the towel of defeat. I have stood my ground many times because I know that God has heard my prayer. Now, I know it not because I see the answer, uh, but I know it because he said he heard me. I believe that I have the answer to the thing about which I've prayed. Now, why do I say that? Because his word said he heard me, and so I stand my ground upon his word. Only a few people, few Christians, realize that our confessions imprison us and that only the right kind of confession will set us free. It's not only our thinking, but it is the words we speak that build power or weakness into us. Our words are coins, so to speak, in the kingdom of God. Our words snare us and hold us in captivity, or they set us free. Our words become powerful in the lives of others. It's what we confess with our lips that really dominates our inner being. We unconsciously confess what we believe. The Bible said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. If we talk sickness, it's because we believe in sickness. If we talk weakness and failure, it's because we believe in weakness and failure. It's surprising what faith people have, God's people have, in wrong things. I remember reading one time from the pen of Donald G, a message in one of his books, and he was talking about the spirit of fear based on 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, it seems that in his family, the men folk in his family had a tendency to die young around the age of 38 to 40. 
they, they always contracted some kind of a lung disease of some type. So consequently, he had developed a fear of this thing. And every time he caught a cold and coughed a little, you see, or something, he thought of this disease. Now he went to the doctor who sensed that he had this great fear. And this doctor told Donald G. that because of his fear, he was opening up his whole system to that disease. That actually this fear was making his body more susceptible to the disease. Now you see, when he was about, I think, 32, Donald G. received the Holy Spirit, and God revealed uh, to him this scripture, that he hath not given us a spirit of fear. And he began to resist the devil. And he stood upon God's word. Well... He went on to be with the Lord. Now, I think he must have been about 80 years of age. Now, he could have held on to his fear until the disease came upon him, and that fear would have completely dominated him. You remember what Job said? Job said, that which I feared has come upon me. That which I was afraid of has happened unto me. I have a book of sermons by Dr. John G. Lake which I think is a real faith builder. And I, I've enjoyed reading in it much through the years because it stimulates my faith. Dr. Lake was a missionary to Africa years ago in the early days and before the beginning of the modern full gospel movement. He had no financial backing of any sort. And it's amazing how God met his needs. Well, out there in Africa as a missionary, the contagious and deadly bubonic plague broke out in his area, and hundreds were dying, and many had already died. He was helping care for the sick and burying the dead. Finally, there were so many deaths, and the plague grew so that the British sent a boat down to Africa with doctors, medicine, and supplies. The doctors had late come aboard. They noticed that he had been in the territory quite some time, he and another little uh, Dutchman and uh, were working right with these people, caring for the sick, burying the dead. And they died uh, so fast that Lake said that they buried sometimes five and six bodies in one grave. And they, these doctors wondered why he had not contracted the disease. What was he doing to prevent contracting the disease, they asked him. Well, Lake replied, Sirs, I believe... The law of life in Christ Jesus, as Romans 8 chapter said, has set me free from the law of sin and death. And as long as I walk in the light of that law of life, no disease nor germ can fasten itself to my body. Well, the doctor said, now we have this preventative and that preventative, another preventative, and they urged him to take one of the preventative medicines they had. Lake said, sirs, you may be interested in making an experiment. You will notice when these people die, they die in a convulsion with a bloody froth running from their mouths. Now you take some of the bloody froth and put it under your microscope and you will find there are millions of germs uh, alive and moving. They will live on for quite some time. But I'll take a handful of that bloody froth into my hand and thrust my hand under the microscope and you will find that every germ dies when it contacts my body. Now the doctors agreed we will try this. They made the experiment and it was true. The germs died the minute they touched his body. Now why? Why? Well, his thinking was right. His believing was right. His confession was right. He said, 
sirs, I believe, as Romans the 8th chapter said, second verse, I believe the law of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is, is the devil's law. And as long as I walk in the light of the law of life in Christ Jesus, no disease can fasten itself to my body. You see, Satan does not rule us. Now, now that was faith speaking. That was faith speaking. He was thinking in line with God's word. He, he was believing in line with God's word. His confession was in line with God's word. And it brought results. That was faith speaking. The word of God builds faith. Many times we need the faith that we have stimulated. And many good books written on the Word of God will help us to do it. So that's the reason we encourage people to read. But always remember this. Nothing shall be impossible to you. That is, nothing is impossible to him that believeth. Nothing is impossible with God, we know the Bible said. And so we can put it this way. Nothing shall be impossible to you if you think right, if you believe right, and if you confess right. That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3.